Before we turn to our study in Colossians, I always find it so helpful and beneficial to remind my soul uh, why we do what we do. You know, why do we gather here on these Wednesday nights, on the Sunday mornings to learn about the Word of God? So turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3 really quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and I want to read two verses, verses 16 and 17, to remind our souls why we do what we do and the importance of the Word of God. So turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The same author of Colossians writes to Timothy here. He says, All Scripture is given by God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, Every word of God here in our scriptures is inspired by him. It's from his heart. It's from his throne. And it's beneficial to us. It's profitable, he says, for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, or as I like to explain it to the youth, what is right, what is wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. Those are the layman's terms for all of those four different ones. What is right, what is wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. That we may be complete, that the man or woman of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So to answer our question, why do we do this? Why do we teach and then get into these discussion group circles? Uh, It's for our benefit, and God's given it to us so that we would be completed and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we thank the Lord for his word, his word that heals us, his word that leads us and feeds us, and is a lamp unto our feet. And so we're going to continue our study in Colossians chapter 3. So flip with me to Colossians chapter 3. And uh, we're picking up where we left off two weeks ago with the idea that we are of a different kingdom. I left off with a question for you. And the question ending was, what kingdom or whose kingdom are you building? If you are in Christ, you are now called to build his kingdom, Christ's kingdom, which means saying no to our own kingdoms and our own plans and our own agendas. And if you're visiting us for the first time, the book of Colossians is a really, really neat book written by Paul to a church in Colossae. Paul was in prison at this time for the gospel, and he's writing to the believers, which was mostly made up of a Gentile um, congregation. And he writes to them of the sufficiency and the all-supremeness, if that's a word, of Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he writes here one of my favorite verses in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, speaking of Jesus. He says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. So, chapters one and two is all about how he is supreme, how he is enough, and how sticking to Jesus is everything that you need for eternal life. You see, there were a couple of heresies or false doctrines floating around. Number one was Gnosticism, and Pastor Tyler taught about that. And Gnosticism said that anything of the flesh 
is bad, so Jesus couldn't have had a physical body, which is heresy, because in his body, he bore the wrath of God for us. So without Christ having a physical body, he could not be the propitiation or the sacrifice needed for our sins. And the second heresy was that of legalism, right? Uh, Where the Jewish uh, community was saying, hey, Christ is good, but now you have to keep the whole law in order for Christ to benefit you. And so Paul is hearing these things, And he writes a letter to them saying, no, 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 it's all about Christ. It's all about what he's done, who he is, what he's going to do. And you don't have to worry about giving into these heresies because it's by faith alone, right? By grace alone and Christ alone that you are saved. And so we now pivot in here in chapters three and four is because of all of that, what does this mean for our lives. So what does this mean now? Because Christ is supreme and there's no one else but him. He's the only way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean for our lives? And so in Colossians chapter 3, we looked at the first four verses. Read with me here as I recap. Paul writes, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So here is where we pick up uh, our study. I want to map out our time in four different sections. Number one, what does it look like to kingdom, to be, to, to, sorry, What is it? Sorry, (laughs) the title of my message is Kingdom Living. And so the roadmap to what it looks like to live in the kingdom, in God's kingdom, is number one, verses five to seven, destroy the flesh. Okay, destroy the flesh. Number two, dismantle the old ways. Number three, 12 to 17, is develop now kingdom living habits. And number four, I'll end with a couple of discussion questions for us to decide how are we now going to apply these truths to our lives. So destroy the flesh, dismantle the old ways, develop kingdom habits, and decide how to apply this to our lives. Uh, Number one, destroy the flesh. Before we get there, it's interesting and it's good to know that three and four, chapters three and four, is always going to be a practical walking out of who we already are in the eyes of God. Okay, as we study three and four together, chapters three and four is a practical walking out of who we already are in the eyes of God. Let me explain. See, if you're in Christ, the Bible says that you are righteous, right? We inherit the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness is uh, another word of being justified, right? Just as if I have never sinned, And righteousness and the grace of God also says, just as if I've always obeyed. So when God sees us, he sees us through the lens of Christ, and we are perfectly righteous, and we're justified. So just as if I've never sinned, and just as if I've always obeyed. So three and four, chapters three and four, is to bridge that gap of God already sees us, but we wrestle with this sinful nature. So how do we we bridge that gap of who God already sees us to be? This is Colossians chapters 3 and 4. So how do we practically walk this out? Number one, we destroy the flesh. Everyone say destroy. 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 Let's read this. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, 
uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived with them. So what does it look like, number one, to be a part of God's kingdom? Number one, it is to destroy the flesh. He says, to put to death your members which are on the earth. Put to death means to stop completely. It means to stop entertaining. It means to not give room for or don't provide any provision for the things of our sinful nature, our flesh. Kill it. It's a pretty extreme word here. It's not hide your flesh. It's not conceal it. It's not ignore it. It is to bring it to the light and kill it. Put to death your members which are on the earth. I love this quote by Puritan Jonathan Edwards back in the day when they're churning butter and making candles and having these theological, you know, just like revelations. He writes in his book, The Mortification of Sin, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. So he took that quote really from this principle here, put to death your members which are on the earth. What is he talking about? What is Paul talking about with your members which are on the earth? Well, this speaks of our fallen humanity. It speaks of the old man, the old nature. And we've heard Pastor Rob describe from the pulpit here that our old nature, it's a problem of the heart, right? He says, the heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. You see, we are not born good, we are born sinful and evil. And through time and circumstances, that sinfulness just breeds and grows. And without Christ, right, that sin is punishable by eternal separation. But because of Jesus, he takes our place and we put our faith in him. We're now made righteous, so now we have this war going on with the flesh versus the spirit. And whatever one we really feed actually wins. So again, it's a bridging of the gap of who God already sees us. He sees us as perfectly righteous and holy, but we still wrestle with the flesh. And so number one, to bridge that gap, number one, we have to destroy the flesh. I love how the amplified version of Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 reads. It gives us some insight to the problem of the heart. It says, so put to death and deprive the power of the evil longings of your earthly body. So The Amplified Version points to the fact that the problem is in you. You are the problem. The problem is sitting in your own chair. You get it? It's you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 15, 19 to 20. For out of the heart, your own heart, proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. And so these things are in us. But in Christ, because we're raised with him, we're supposed to count them dead. We're not supposed to entertain those different things. And he lists out here six things we're supposed to destroy of the flesh. Number one, fornication. We know this word. Sexual immorality, fornication. Uncleanness speaks of immorality and overflow of filth and wickedness. This passion is speaking of a sexual lust and a passion, which is also that evil desire, that lust, that greediness, it's covetousness and idolatry. Those are the six, which is image worship or idol worship. It is to put to death those things. So this isn't a passive spirituality. 
This is a hands-on, the problem is in me, I need Christ to destroy the flesh that is still residing in me. He lists out these big sins, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, idolatry. And guess what? It's all living in us in some way, shape, or form. And as we agree with the Spirit's work in us, we help to bridge that gap as we walk in obedience by killing and destroying the flesh. Why is it so important to destroy the flesh? Notice the reason here as we read on in that section, verses 5 to 7. Verse 6, because of these things, of the, the six that we just mentioned, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves, verse 7, once walked when you lived with them or in them. So why is it important to destroy the flesh? Because the wrath of God is coming upon those who are still practicing that. In other words, it's unfitting for you because the wrath is not on you anymore. The wrath was placed on Jesus. You're in Jesus. You're raised with Christ. So therefore, don't entertain these different things. And it's not something to play around with. Why? Because God takes sin seriously. He says, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. The wrath of God. We read here, you know, we've been in these, uh, these uh, end times kind of recap things. We see the end times in the book of Revelation, right? All the different prophecies. It's not something to laugh about or joke about. It is something really to bring us into a place of trepidation, but trepidation that is motivation to then preach the gospel. Because this is why Christ came. The wrath of God was all abiding upon us, but God. Those glorious two words, right? But God. He stepped in our place, took the wrath of God upon himself, so that just by simple faith in him and his sacrifice, his death, burial, resurrection, we can be united with the Father once again and be covered in righteousness. This is why it's so important for us, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, to preach the gospel, to make disciples. The wrath of God is not something to joke around with. It's something that is coming upon the sins of disobedience. And what is the answer? Christ says, here's my bride, the church, to give you the gospel, to help you alleviate and escape this wrath through Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to note, too, here, he writes that little phrase at the end, in which you also walked. So I think there's a little bit of sympathy that he's trying to invoke into the Colossians. Hey, that that was once you. That was once you, but it's not you anymore. Therefore, don't entertain these sins, destroy the flesh, and be about kingdom business. Verse 7, I love looking at our old identity. He says, we were once the sons of disobedience when we once walked in them. It's always good to reflect on the gospel and really our old identity. Why? Because it helps shine and illuminate the beauty of the gospel. You know, a shiny pearl is best seen against a black drape cloth or a drop cloth, right? And sometimes looking at our old identity helps us to remember the brilliance and the beauty of the gospel. And so Paul David Tripp, often in his writings, a famous uh, you know, preacher, writer, he says, preach the gospel to yourself daily. And I love that because it reminds us of how much we were separated, but how much we're loved that Christ would come and bridge that gap. So number one, we are to destroy the flesh. How do we start to build that gap, right? Bridge that gap of what it means to be a kingdom member and to live in the kingdom. Number one, destroy the flesh. Number two, we are to dismantle the old ways. Dismantle, disassemble, right? Dismantle the old ways. Read with me verses 8 all the way to 11. 
But now, so you were once, you know, with the sons of disobedience, but now, here's a contrast, you yourselves, this is a personal application, you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie, verse 9, to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So not only are we, number one, to destroy the flesh, give no provision for it, we're also supposed to disarm or dismantle our old way of doing things. Guess what, brothers and sisters? This is written to people in the church. This is written to believers, which is a wake-up call. These things still reside in us. And, and on this side of heaven, we can agree like Paul, not that I've already attained or have already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me, right? Every day our aim should be growing closer with Jesus more and more, sanctified more and more every single day. That is what helps to bridge that gap of kingdom living. Dismantling the old ways. And notice that this passage follows the biggest thought in verses 1 through 4, that we're supposed to set our minds and seek the things which are above, which reminds me of this truth. Right action starts with the right thinking. Right action starts with the right thinking. Or you can say it this way. Kingdom thinking is before kingdom living, right? So as you set your mind on things above, that helps train what your body is going to do. I have a confession. I uh, had a hard time learning how to ride a bike. Anyone with me? You're probably not as bad as me. You know, some people learn how to ride a bike, seven years old, that's normal, right? My, my nephew, who just turned four, actually, he's riding a bike already on two wheels, no training wheels. He was three when he learned. How old was I when I learned how to ride a bike? Maybe 14. I don't know. I don't know. We didn't have a bike growing up, you know? I just thought it was cool. Anyways, I had, a tr- I had trouble learning how to ride the bike because uh, my ADD, right? I would be looking at everything, and wherever I looked, that's where the bike would go. Oh, hey, don't hit that stop sign. Oh, I'm looking at that stop sign. Here we go, right? And so my parents were smart. They patted us up, the helmet, you know, the elbow pads, the knee pads, the shoes, everything. I said a quick prayer every single time before I got on the bike, right? But it was because I was looking at those different things and I was distracted, not where I was wanting to go. And it led to my downfall. It was really hard for me to train myself to not look at those different distractions. Same thing with kingdom living. Hey, when I'm looking at all these different distractions, where am I going to go? To the distractions, Right? So if I want to live rightly, if I want to be a kingdom man or woman, I must start with my mind. The Word of God says to be renewed in my mind, right? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. So kingdom thinking is before kingdom doing. So we need to set our minds. So as we set our minds, right, thinking rightly, we're able to dismantle, disarm these old ways. We're supposed to put off. The idea is like it's unfitting, like a piece of clothing, Uh, This old nature is unfitting for us. It doesn't fit, so we're not supposed to just put it into the closet. We're supposed to burn it. That's the idea, to put off these things. We're supposed to put off these six different things. Anger, wrath, which is intense fury, 
malice. It's wickedness or having wicked intent in your mind and in your heart. It's to put off blasphemy, which is slander, or filthy language he maps out, which is just dirty talk, or even abusive language. I would even say, say you know, foul language is in there. Um, he says, put off lying or bearing false witness. And why do we do these things? Paul reminds us here. You know, why do we put these things off? It's because it's not fitting for someone who has already put off the old man with his deeds. Remember, Christ sees us that perfectly righteous and holy. So if Christ already sees us perfectly righteous and holy, then what are we doing entertaining these different things? What are we doing daily clothing ourselves with the old man? It's unfitting for us to do these things. This is the process of sanctification. Again, these things dwell inside of us, right? The flesh These evil desires, they dwell inside of us. But as we submit to God through the power of the Holy Spirit and we're able to choose obedience, God is sanctifying us. He's bridging that gap. He's making us separate from the world, from sin, and now separating us to himself to make us better fitted for his purposes. Again, sanctification is that that, that term of bridging the gap of the already and the not yet. This idea of putting off or dismantling the old man is, is a cool picture. Remember that story uh, in the Gospels with Jesus' friend Lazarus, right? Who was dead, right? And Mary and Martha come weeping. And uh, Jesus resurrects Lazarus, right? He calls him from the grave, and, and Lazarus is bouncing out, right, I think, with his grave clothes. And he tells the disciples, hey, go to him and unravel the grave clothes, It's a cool picture of sanctification, that God is the one who calls us from the grave, but then we're, by the body of Christ, able to help each other take off the grave clothes. And that is a sanctification, right? Take off the old ways, take off the old garments, the grave clothes. God has given us his new righteousness. So we're supposed to put off these things, verse 9, and put on the new man, verse 10, And get this, this is a beautiful picture of the new man. The new man who is renewed. Everyone say renewed. Yes, it's a holy upgrade, right? He is renewed in knowledge, so in the way of thinking. And this way of thinking is according to the image of him, so Christ, who created him. And it's a whole new man, right? So this holy upgrade where it's not like a... A physical thing, but it's something so holy that there's no boundaries because he writes in verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So we're being renewed in our minds to look more and more like Christ every day. Christ is all and in all. So number one, we destroy the flesh. Number two, we dismantle the old ways Number three, we now start to to develop kingdom habits. This is what it's looking like to put on the new man, to walk in Christ's righteousness. What does kingdom living look like? Destroy, disarm, but now develop kingdom habits. Verses 12 to 17 help us to map that out. It says, therefore, so with all this in mind, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, Kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, 
so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you were also called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to to God the Father through him. So developing kingdom habits, once again, requires that we say no to our own kingdoms, right? Kingdom living will always require death to our own kingdom. I'll say this, it's not natural for us to do this. It's not natural for us to look more and more like Christ. This is us partnering up with the Holy Spirit and agreeing and saying, Lord, sanctify me. I'm willing. Here I am in my surrender. Do whatever you want me to do. We have a choice here, right? The Word of God. Before we knew Christ, we had no choice but to stay in sin and in bondage. But the truth, the gospel sets us free. So now we have a choice who we're going to serve, what kingdom we're going to build. And so we have a choice every day, I would say for myself, moment by moment, minute by minute, hour by hour, what kingdom am I going to build? As I look in my life, I grieve the opportunities where I could have been building his kingdom, but I chose my own ways. One of my biggest regrets is not choosing the way of Jesus sooner. But every day we have to decide what kingdom am I going to build, whose lordship I'm going to surrender myself unto. Well, if you're raised with Christ, you belong in his kingdom. And so all these different things is supposed to be in your life. But notice how he inspires this obedience. Paul reminds them of their identity in him. He says, verse 12, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. I love reminding myself also of who I am in him because sometimes I don't feel like that. And sometimes my feelings can get the best of me and my feelings lead me to build my own kingdom. So I love that In order to inspire obedience, I think Paul reminds them of who they are in Christ, raised with him. He says that we're elect of God, that we're chosen, that we're handpicked by God, that he was the one pursuing us, right? John would say, "I I love because he first loved me. He first loved us. And so we're chosen by God, and not only that, we're holy. Wow. I don't feel holy sometimes. I don't think holy sometimes, but the way Christ sees me through the lens of Christ because of the gospel, God sees me as elect of God and holy, and guess what? Beloved. When God thinks of you, his heart fills up. I love that. When, when God thinks of us, he blushes because he loves us that much, and this is who we are in his sight. And in order to inspire obedience, I think it's always important for us to allow the Holy Spirit to remind us who we are in Him, that we are chosen by God, holy and beloved. So what are some things that we're supposed to put on as it relates to kingdom living? He says, put on tender mercies. It's precious mercies. Precious loving kindness is another translation. Put on tender mercies. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on meekness, which is strength bridled, right, or strength under control. Put on long-suffering or patience. And put on the ability to bear with one another. And put on complete forgiveness. And I want to stop here in this word forgiveness, 
Because I think there's extra added commentary here that the Holy Spirit is articulating to us. He says, um, forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, here's the description, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So he adds this extra bit of commentary to what this one that we're supposed to be putting on, which is complete forgiveness. And so he's saying, even as Christ forgave you, you also forgive. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you this. Christ's standard of holiness is completely different from the world. Christ's standard of holiness is complete. He says this in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. It was so funny. I was reading this in my morning devotions today. Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Jesus says this, Take heed to yourself. If a brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Christ's way of forgiveness is totally different from any other standard of forgiveness. But that's the forgiveness that we're supposed to extend to one another. And notice that he's writing to the believers still. Which means it's, it's, it's possible for us, even though we're raised with Christ in our sinful humanity, humanity, to hold grudges and bitterness against other people, and maybe even in the body of Christ. Oh Lord, have mercy on us, right? This kingdom living is a different standard than what we're used to. But as we talk about in, in the end, some deciding factors here, the cool thing is that we have the Holy Spirit in us. We, we can allow the Holy, the, the Holy Word to dwell in us, to inspire and educate this kingdom living, especially in the area of forgiveness. Even as Christ forgave you, I think there's also some identity there too that he's reminding that you or me, we are forgiven. And what does he say in the Gospels? That he who has been forgiven much should love much. So forgiveness and love, they go hand in hand. In verse 12, he says, above all, so in all these different things, above all, put on love, right? Um, yeah, sorry, verse 14, above all, put on, uh, above all these things, put on love, which I would say love is just, uh, these other words are just describing this love. This word love is that Greek word agape, which is that unconditional love, right? The unconditional love of God. So if we just focus on putting on that unconditional agape love, all these other things will fall into its place. The tender mercies, the kindness, the humility, the meekness, the long-suffering, the bearing with one another, the forgiveness, all those things are fruit of agape love. Here's the, here's the problem. This agape love is not inside of us. We can't muster up this perfect God love. All we can do is outsource it, which is the point. This is the relationship part. This is the abiding part where we agree and sit with Jesus to now receive the love, not only for ourselves, but then now for others. So there's a in-between, uh, read in-between the lines type of moment here that if we're supposed to put on this love that we must first be putting it on ourselves by receiving it from Christ on our one-on-one relationship with him and then letting that all play out into the dealings with others. Another couple of characteristics of, uh, of the new man or kingdom living is in verse 16. Uh, sorry, verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. 
So a mark of kingdom living is allowing the peace of God to rule in your heart. Another one is to let the word of Christ dwell, dwell in you richly in all wisdom and teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with your grace in your hearts to the Lord. So how do we let the peace of God rule in our heart? How do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? Well, I think first we have to pause and let these things happen to us. I confess, sometimes my life is so busy, I don't feel the peace of God because I'm not pausing to receive it. If Christ is going to command it, he's going to enable me to have it. But often I'm too busy in my own agenda to receive it for myself. And so what do I have to do? I have to discipline myself to slow down and just let the peace of God rule in my heart. By allowing him to blow the whistle. To rule is the word empire, right? He's the referee. When things are going off kilter, the referee should blow the whistle so that we can recenter and recalibrate. When we slow down, we give time for the Holy Spirit to recalibrate us, right? To then allow the peace of God to rule in our hearts. How do we allow the word of God to dwell in us richly? Well, to allow it to be in our lives. By discipline and devotion, we sit by the word of God. We sit in the word of God, reading and meditating and taking notes and annotating these things. Busyness will kill your devotion. Busyness will kill intimacy but when we pause and, and we take those, those Sabbath breaks, right, to really allow the peace of God and the word of God to catch up to us, man, it changes everything. So kingdom characteristics, part of the new man is that I'm going to pause myself to allow these things to be in part of my life. And, and what is kind of that effect? Verse 17, and whatever you do, in word or deed, as the peace of God, you know, as the peace of God is, is in your heart, as the word of God is dwelling richly, now you can do whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the God of, uh, th- giving thanks to God the Father through him. So all of these different things, characteristics of bridging the gap, right? Kingdom living, destroying the flesh, dismantling the old ways, And then also now developing kingdom living habits. How does this all happen? Well, lastly, we have to decide. The last point here, we have to decide. Again, the question is, what kingdom am I a part of? What kingdom will I be building? If you're in Christ, it's expected of you. It's our reasonable response to be a part of his kingdom and build it in his way by your good works. No, by allowing the Holy Spirit to work that in you and through you. I love the truth that the pressure of living for him is not on me. It's on the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you this, the Holy Spirit's really good at his job in ministry. And as, as, I, as I just pause myself to agree with the work of the Spirit, it's Christ who produces the fruit through my life. I don't muster these things up. No, I just agree with the Spirit and I'm listening to the convictions of the Spirit and being educated by the Word that if I'm just being obedient, He's going to be the one to do the work in me and through me. So the pressure isn't on me. The pressure's on the Holy Spirit to lead. And guess what? He's always leading. My job is to then follow suit, to yield myself to Him and then just to follow suit in Him. A couple of closing thoughts before we break up into our groups. Number one, kingdom living fights against spiritual laziness. If you've been battling with spiritual laziness or maybe find yourself in a rut, practice Colossians chapter 3. Kingdom living will fight against your spiritual laziness. Kingdom living also reminds me that it's not passive in any sense. 
You're in the game. You're agreeing with what the Holy Spirit is doing. Again, kingdom living is allowing the Holy Spirit to sanctify you as you choose obedience. Kingdom living is elevating faith and obedience over our feelings. I confess, I don't always want to live for the Lord. If I'm being honest, I I would love to live in comfort and ease by building my own kingdom. But kingdom living for Christ is elevating faith and choosing obedience over the way I feel. And feelings are important. Feelings are given by God. Emotions are given by God. We learned about this in VBS. (laughs) Emotions are given by God. Our feelings are 100% real, but I've learned they're not 100% honest, right? My feelings will say, hey, just rest because that's what you deserve. It's going to make you feel good. My feelings say, hey, if you just do this, that's going to satisfy. It's going to make you feel good. So my feelings are 100% real, but not 100% honest, because if they're honest, they would say they would lead to your destruction if you give in to those feelings. The kingdom living is elevating faith and obedience over what I'm feeling. And really, it's bringing those feelings under the submission of the Lord and saying, Lord, change my affections, change my actions, right? Change everything about me. It's just giving those over to the Lord. And last but not least, uh, what the Lord kind of put in my heart in in letting the word of God kind of read me, um, some kingdom living killers is this. Number one, I've seen in my life, distraction. Kingdom living killers, number one is distraction. It could be a phone. It could be a video game, young people. It could be anything, any sort of distraction is a kingdom living killer. How do I know it's a distraction? Well, who's receiving what glory? That's how I know if it's a distraction or not. Number two, just conflict. If I'm having conflict, especially with a brother or sister in the Lord, uh, in the body, conflict is a kingdom living killer. If I don't settle that conflict, it's going to breed bitterness and unforgiveness. Uh, Grief or sorrow, those seasons where you're grieving and you're sorrowful, right? And you're sad. Sometimes when you're looking just at those circumstances and letting those feelings kind of possess you, Man, it it hinders you from putting on that new man and letting the peace of God rule in your heart. And last but not least, spiritual warfare. Man, the warfare has been tough for our student ministries as we amp up for for summer camp, so please pray for us. But warfare, right? Any distraction from the enemy, discouragement from the enemy, these things can kill uh, kingdom living habits. But none of those things are greater than the Holy Spirit who is in us. And I want to close here in Colossians chapter 1. Uh, one, because here in verse 26 all the way to 27, Paul writes, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them God willed to make known what are the riches of his glory of this, mag- uh, this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So these kingdom living killers, distraction, conflict, grief, sorrow, warfare, they can seem so big, but they're not bigger than the Holy Spirit who is residing in you. Christ in you, Paul writes, the hope of glory. All these different things, man, it's a hard task to destroy the flesh, to disarm, and then to put on these things. But hey, it's simplified in this. Let the Spirit rule your life. Agree and surrender to what the Spirit is doing in your life. How do we do that? By just asking him to do what he wants to do and saying, Lord, you do it. But please be patient and gentle. And he is. He's patient and gentle with us. And a final word of encouragement. I know that this is a lot of things, but 
when we walk in obedience and surrender, obedience always begets blessings. It may not be immediate blessings, but blessings. Maybe we'll see the goodness of the God in the land of the living, but for sure, when we see Christ face to face, we can be like, yeah, that was worth it. Obedience always begets blessings. So a couple of questions for us before we get into our groups. How are we going to apply this to our life? Uh, You know, number one, I want to ask myself, am I giving room for the flesh to grow? Am I entertaining the flesh or destroying the flesh? Uh, Verses 8 to 11, we talk about dismantling the old ways, a question for myself. Am I actively setting my mind on things above to help encourage this dismantling of the old ways? We talked about developing kingdom habits. How can I better surrender to the Holy Spirit to help me develop these kingdom living habits? We break them to our groups. Feel free to share your thoughts in the discussion questions and allow the Lord to guide our conversations. I'll close this in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that your word is true, that we can build our lives upon it. Lord, I thank you that as your word commands us to live for you, Lord, you're going to empower us to do so. So I pray that we as a body would encourage that growth in you, that we would be discipled by your Holy Spirit as we surrender to you. And I pray, Lord, make these truths, the kingdom living truths, Lord, realities in our life. Lord, I can't wait to see what you'll do through a life that is sold out for you, Lord. Here we are, willing and wanting. Would you teach us? Would you be patient with us? And would you form us into who you already call us to be and who you already see us to be? Thank you for that identity, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.